Welcome, welcome, welcome to everybody's favorite cinema podcast, Looking California and Feeling Minnesota. I am the Looking California portion of the program. My name is Michael McCaffrey. I am an actor, coach, and a writer uh, who is not currently in Southern California, where I usually am. I'm in the middle of a little mini blizzard uh, in an undisclosed location. So all the people out there who are trying to find me, like where's Matt Lauer, that people are trying to find where I am. You can look on the map and look for where snow is right now. And you might be able to guess where I am. But I'm not going to say it's an undisclosed location for a variety of reasons. Anyway, (laughs) I am joined on the podcast by the one and only, the inimitable Barry Anderson. Say hi to everybody, Barry. Hello. And uh, oddly enough, I am not in the middle of a snowstorm. So that rules out that you and I are in a bunker together. So I am uh, in lovely uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. And uh, yeah, we, uh, I, I think that the audience is now really starting to like this uh, where is Waldo meets Carmen Sandiego uh, new, you know, thing you got going on there. Mike. Th- I know I've, it's impressive and uh, we're getting a great response from it. I mean, a lot of listeners are, are reaching out, trying to find out where I am. Um, both of them actually and something like that in minnesota we have a winter carnival and you can get like a gold medallion they hide it around so you got to come up with some sort of prize that people can narrow down where where you are now uh, i think the big prize would be that they could come on the podcast okay there you go. people can Uh-oh, our viewership people can guess <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it's nice and cold outside and it's snowing and we we had a bunch of snow yesterday and some more today so it's an exciting time here and in Blankville, um, where I'm wintering <laughs> until Los Angeles stops being an insane asylum. Um, so anyway, Barry and I, we do this little podcast here called Looking California Film Minnesota, and it's about cinema. It's about movies, because that's what we do for a living. And we watch movies and write about movies and work on movies and things. And today, we're going to talk about the movie Soul, which is a Pixar film, an animated film that came out on Christmas Day of 2020. And uh, I'm looking at the numbers here. It had a budget of $150 million. I'm always astounded by that with these Pixar movie budgets because, you know, they're just, they're cartoons. They're really high-end cartoons, but they're still just cartoons. But anyway, it has a $150 million budget. It uh has done well at the box office considering it's 85 million bucks at the box office it's brought in it's on disney plus the streaming service which uh it's free there if you're a member which i think is like seven bucks a a month or something and the movie is directed by pete doctor it's written by doctor uh pete doctor uh mike jones and kemp powers who's an interesting character we'll get into a bit the movie stars jamie fox and tina fey and a cavalcade of other voice actors Interestingly, the music for this movie is by, do you know who did it, Barry? No, I actually did not. Pretty interesting. Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross did the music for this hey, movie. Hey, well, they're, we've <laughs> talked about them before. They're, they're our we secret weapon. Two of the most creative yeah. you know, musicians working and in, in scoring in movies these days. I, yeah. I love so them. just so pe- people understand, Trent Reznor, of course, the creative force behind Nine Inch Nails, um, he and Ross did. Um, They've done a lot of Fincher stuff. I think they're probably most iconic is the Social Network. Yeah, that, I couldn't remember the name of it. I froze there for a second. Yeah, they did the Social Network, big deal. And uh, yeah, they're they're great. So this movie, how do we describe this movie? It's 
about a character. His name is Joe Gardner. That's played by Jamie Foxx. And he's a middle school teacher in New York City. He teaches music. Um, and he dreams of a career in jazz. He uh, is a piano player. And he's just a nice guy. And it's sort of a failure in life, though, sort of. And then he gets his big break. And he gets to play this. He, he has an audition to play for this big uh, jazz uh, saxophonist. And then afterwards, he does really well in the audition. And then afterwards, something happens and his sort of life is turned upside down. And the movie becomes an existential uh, sort of journey about life and death and everything in between and before and after and all this sort of stuff. That's the movie. It's hard to describe without giving too, too much away. Yeah. Um, I guess we, this would be a good time to say that as we get into this, I think we are going to give away spoilers. Okay. All right. Uh, if, if people don't want to hear anything, if they're planning on seeing it, you know, kind of un, untaintedly, uh, maybe pause our, our episode now and go watch it and come back. And, and Yeah. Go for it. So, Barry, Soul, yeah, yes. what did you think about it? So, I'm going to give you a long answer. Okay. Um, one of the first stocks I wanted to buy in my life was Pixar. When I was so impressed by the technology and when the first Toy Story came out, and all of the financial advisors I spoke with, family, friends, rich people, they said, do not buy Pixar stock. It can't possibly go higher than a hit film called Toy Story. It's all downhill after that. Um, since I listened to them, that's <laughs> why I'm doing podcasts like this <laughs> instead of sitting on a small island. Um, but I think what, to me, Soul represents is kind of the ethos of what Pixar was and what made it so special. I loved early Pixar movies, and it was uncanny how like film after film after film, they kind of hit it out of the ballpark. And not every film they did was perfect, but they were well above average and extremely well done and creative and original and touching. And then they went through a period where they kind of lost their footing and then they got acquired by Disney and then Disney forced them to pump out like 900 sequels to try to squeeze out all the money. And then Pixar's brand started to kind of be lost and it didn't really matter. And then Disney started to rise with all their hit movies and people kind of forgot about Pixar. And Pete Doctor comes in, it's like, hey, let's do another original movie on a bizarre premise and we'll just make it good and let's see what happens. And I think this movie fits right in. I mean, this could have been right off the original slate um, of movies because it is not really definable as a movie. I didn't know the twist going into it. So early in the movie, I was like, wait, what? I'm like, this movie just took a huge pivot. Yeah. And the the animation and the way they you know brought a visual element to you know these souls and these different worlds they were traveling between the stuff were so original and so just captivating like i was just i was in it's like it just sucked me in and i'm like i want to know where this is going how it's gonna out you know turn out how you know how do things kind of come together what's the ultimate like story we're gonna learn from this and i just thought it was uh uh i thought it was charming Okay. So thanks, Barry. How I'm wrong. Thank you, Barry. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for calling in. Yeah. Um, Next call. The, yeah. Right. So here's the thing. I am not a Pixar guy. 
Um, I, I'm trying to think now. You bought their stock, didn't they? You were the guy. Well, it's funny. I was supposed to have. It's funny. I actually turned down the role of Woody in Toy Story originally. I was like, you know what? Nobody wants to see a movie about talking toys. Nobody cares. And I rue it to this day. I would not be in your company if I had that kind of like Tom Hanks money. You're like the guy that money. left uh, American Idol after the first episode. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Nobody knows his name. And that poor bastard. No, it's funny. I've just never, never gotten into Pixar movies. And in fact, I ne- I've never seen any of the Toy Story movies. I've never seen any Pixar films except for, I didn't even see the original. I, I think I saw Cars 2 or something. For Cars Three, definitely my strong movies. If you're trying to get <laughs> well, no, be, I've only saw it because my son wanted to watch it. You yeah, know, well, he, you he got was like your... four or something. <laughs> There's better Pixar movies than Cars Two <laughs> for your son, the sand. And you know, so I, it's just not something that really appeals to me. Um, so I went into Soul. I, I knew it was coming out and I'd read a lot about it. it. It had gotten a lot of press because it was, it's the first Pixar film to have a black lead character. And that was a, you know, obviously a big deal. And uh, so I'd read a bunch about it and heard about it. And then uh, I had to write about it. So I watched it and that's the context for me seeing it. So I don't have any history with Pixar and I enjoyed the movie. I, I found it entertaining and, and captivating and it's a compelling film. I don't think it's a great film. I think it brings up as, as you know, spoiler alerts for, as we've already given out, but the Joe character after his big audition goes so well and he sort of, his life is about to change. He dies. He has this accident and dies and goes to wherever heaven, the afterlife, whatever you want to call it. And thus begins this sort of existential journey where Joe is trying to get back to life on earth um, as opposed to like an eternal afterlife. And he ends up going to the before life where people are before they're born. And so it's all these things. And I, I found that stuff really fascinating and I quite enjoyed it, but I felt it just wasn't sort of philosophically rich enough which sounds absurd to say about a cartoon um an animated movie but you know that's why these movies are good right is that they tackle these big issues and they're able to do it and so i felt it wasn't i felt it could have been much better but i i did enjoy it and and i i do recommend it to people it's it's quite a it's an unpredictable movie and uh parts of the animation are absolutely gorgeous just really well done and um you know the joe character i think is is a a very very compelling character and it's well done by jamie fox and everything it taps into that idea of art and an artist you know sort of getting into a zone and what is the zone and that you know, it's, it's sort of this beautiful in-between space of 
you know, the consciousness and unconsciousness and the real world and the sort of ethereal. It, it's, it's pretty fascinating, pretty interesting. Um, so I liked it. Now, there are parts I didn't love about it. And interestingly enough, and I've written a bit about this, there's been all this sort of backlash to the movie, which is just like so absurd to me that like, why isn't it more about the black main character? And there's this shrewish Tina Faye plays this character 22, which is just an entity. It's not even a woman or a man or it has no good, but people are like, that's a white woman. And Oh, the movie hates on white women or the movie is centering white women. It's just like, ah, I'm just exhausted by all this talk of nonsense that I don't think matter because the movie is not what, and I wrote about this and I found it, this to be the most beautiful thing about it. All the hype about it being, Oh, it's the first black uh, lead character in Pixar. It's not a movie about being black. It's just a movie about being human. And that sort of, to me was the most beautiful thing about it and the most profound. And that's what I liked about it. Um, and me, and you know, apparently some other people's that's what they disliked about it. I don't know. So those are my thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think I understand what you're saying about the, they could have, they could have put more meat on the bones of some of the larger questions. You know, I think, I think they got to a certain level and then they decided to pivot and do more with 22 and kind of, it's almost like his second round of growing of, you know, is he going to let go? Is he going to fight to go back? Does he help the next generation? And not that, that those were bad choices, it was just choices they made. It would have been interesting to have better tied together the larger philosophical questions into that second journey. It was kind of like they went down a road, then they're like, hey, we'll take a right here. And he never kind of came back to the road. Um, and if I'm going to nitpick, I, I think that could have been done slightly in a more fulfilling way. But I, I agree with you. I think this is a story about humanity and they do it so well that it doesn't matter. You know, the entity 22, yes, it's voiced by Tina Fey, but you don't, I wasn't watching it being like, this is a female or this is, this is who this right. thing is. You were just trying to figure out, you're like, yeah, this is how we struggle in life, you know. I understand this part of this character, that part of that character. And you understood why having friends or having family or dreams or disappointments, you know, it was, it was identifiable, identifiable and approachable for every audience member of their age. So it just made it, that's what I'm saying. It was just a, a charming movie because you could, you could go through the emotions in a way you connected with everybody. And I think yeah. that's the brilliance of movies. And I think sometimes in, this new phase where we're trying to make sure that everybody's voice is heard and it has to be unique. You forget that cinema is supposed to be universal. So yes, we need diverse roles and diverse opinions and diverse backgrounds, but we have to lean into the universality of these stories for them to really have the impact that cinema is, a, is capable of. And I think that's the biggest achievement for, for this particular movie is that it checked all those boxes and still was universal uh, storytelling at its finest. Yeah, and what's interesting about that is, is all the reading I did prior to the film, there was a big piece in the New York Times about it, talked about how Pixar was so concerned about making this movie 
with a black main character because the people who were making the movie were white. So Pete Doctor is uh, the director and one of the writers. He's one of the writers on Toy Story. He's been around Pixar basically since the beginning and has been extremely successful. And Pixar was really, really concerned that like, oh, we're going to have these white people making this movie about a black guy. So they brought in Kemp Powers. Now, Kemp Powers is a writer, um, a playwright mostly, but, uh, oh, wait, here we go. Um, yeah, so he's a playwright, and um, his, the, the other movie that he, he wrote is based on a play he wrote. It's called One Night Miami, which came out this year, um, which is getting a lot, of, a, a lot of attention. And uh, it's a film I wrote about, if you want to go read about it. Um, so Kemp Powers is, you know, pretty, he's a, he's a black man. He's, uh, an accomplished writer and he was brought in to sort of shape the script and give it more authenticity. And then he was sort of promoted. He was bumped up to being, um, a co-director on it, which is a big deal, especially Pixar, right? I mean, uh, Pete Doctor, you know, has been there a long time and for him to sort of I mean, share to put, directing. Put it, to put it, to put it in perspective, on the pantheon of, you know, the Mount Rushmore of uh, cartoon uh, directors, you have Walt Disney, you have John Lasseter, uh, you probably have Chuck Jones, and then it's a toss-up if we're talking about uh, Pete Doctor or um, uh, what's the guy that did The Incredibles? Uh, I'm drawing a blank in his name now. Uh, but I mean, you're talking maybe five or six people that have made most of the entertainment, you know, cartoon entertainment that people recognize. And I just don't think Pete Doctor's name is in the, in the general, you know, this would be a Ridley Scott, Steven Spielberg movie if it was done in the live action. I mean, this is a, yeah. Ridley Scott doesn't share co-directing services with someone. <laughs> no. That just so it was, a, it was a big deal. deal. And, and the New York Times got into quite a lot of detail about how, Pixar um, put together a team at Pixar of all the, the um, employees of color at the company. And they basically s s formed a committee. And so they would run everything by this committee. They, they went to outside groups and to consulting agencies to get sort of input from, uh, from black people about the project. And I bring this up for a couple of reasons. One, it just seems so absurd to me that you would have to do that to make a movie to like it's this it's like human resources department is in charge of making the movie which is never a good sign I was gonna say, number one that's a sign that you, you know it's a train wreck and it's right like, oh totally turn out. and then secondly the interesting thing about it is that they brought all these people in all these black people in to be like oh we want to make a movie about a black guy uh, but we only have white people here how do we do that and the end result is a movie that's a movie about for everybody that has a black guy in it. And that's the beauty of it. Well, that, that, to me, that should be the end goal of all cinema. That should always exactly. be, it's a group of people, whatever their ethnicity, sex, gender sort of thing, about humanity that happens to have these types of people in it that tell that story. That, that's right. the ideal that we're, we're searching for. I, I right. think to me, one of the biggest achievements isn't the movie itself. It's that they tried to go through that process and somehow didn't let that process 
destroy what they were trying to do. And I think that if we could bottle that up and share it with the rest of Hollywood, I can only imagine the amount of better projects that would be made. Because I, I think Without question. feel what we're going for, but I think we're chasing the wrong lead sometimes. And I think Pixar's found they bought if they could bottle that, it would it would make movies better for all of us, which I wish they would do. So. Yeah, I agree. It's that that's why I bring it up. It's just like they they bend over backwards and go through all these things, and it's like, well, you could just make a really good movie, right? And that's really all you need to do and have it be about this universal human experience. Um, you know, that that's really it. That's the, the point. Guess, and it's a good question standing forward that, you know, I know you've written on it and I don't want to turn this into a, a political thing, but I know people like your favorite Ava DuVernay or whatever, however you pronounce her name. Yeah. Know, Ava, Ava DuVernay. Yes. Uh, talking about how a movie like this shouldn't exist because you can't have, it must be told by the people, you know, whatever it is. Like if it's an Asian story, if it's an African-American story, if it's a white story, and I think the best cinema is told by men and women, black and white, you know, Asian, you know, having, having people in that process. And I love the fact that this on paper shouldn't work because it doesn't, you know, everything doesn't line up that it's from one point of view. And I think that's what makes it more universal is everybody got in a room, everybody got to have their opinions and they somehow coalesce that into a universal story that is reflects positively on everybody. You know, it doesn't have to, you know, it doesn't have to take and make any one person or group negative at the expense of the other. It's just, it's just well done. They, they yeah. create a net that works. Yeah. And the beauty of it is that it strips away identity, you know, so that the Tina Fey character is this character 22 that is just an entity that can become anything it wants to become. And it becomes, you know, this Tina Fey Casper looking thing. And she's no different she it is no different it's just this entity which is just it's the same thing that joe is he's an entity yeah. and that's all we really are and like this skin suit that we're wearing and whatever identity we hold on to like these are just distractions from the commonality that we all share and that's the beauty of the film one thing i wanted to bring up which i'm, I'm intrigued as to what you'll say about this um because i watched this film uh, with my wife i didn't watch it with my son who's five and i don't i wouldn't watch this with him i wouldn't no, let him watch this I, I definitely think i mean i sat in the movie uh i think it was king kong peter jackson's version yeah someone had like an eight month year old in that movie so i oh, like, i know that people don't seem to have any when it comes to kids and <laughs> Hold now, I have a great story about that. So I went and saw Saving Private Ryan. I was living in New York City at the time. And, you know, it's this massive movie. Opening thing is so crazy. So the theater is packed. I don't even, it was, it was at night. I don't know if it was a weekend or not. So it's packed. And I'm sitting, you know, like midway up or whatever. It's jam-packed. And in the front row of the movie theater is this couple, a well-to-do couple, as, you, as I could tell. But a well-to-do couple sitting in the front row with a newborn baby that this woman is breastfeeding as, as these dudes, these, you know, 30-foot tall guys are storming Normandy. And I was like, what are you doing, lady? This kid can't obviously see what's happening. 
but that energy is just oh, flooding yeah. this poor child. And so I was like, good Lord, get out of here. Anyway, so, so being said, go ahead. absolutely should have shown your son this movie um, is what we're saying. Yes. Uh, no, yes. I mean, I think, I think some of the concepts, I never think that the kid has to fully grasp things before they're able to watch it. So, you know, I don't think you have to wait. Hey, if they don't understand it, all of it, don't watch it. I think the comedy bits probably work for a five-year-old. Uh, but I think there's some parts that get a little bit long or a little bit kind of esoterical that yeah. maybe wouldn't keep their attention. Um, to me, it's I'd have to gauge kind of the the child and whether or not, like my daughter was one that wasn't as emotionally affected by watching something. She kind of knew this is pretend and you know could kind of dissect it. And my 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 son is more emotionally attached. Like if someone gets called a name, he feels for them, and so you you had to take that approach differently but i think in this one i i don't think it's for the little little kids um yeah where that cutoff is i i don't i don't know um but yeah it's definitely i mean it's not it's not cars too <laughs> <laughs> no it's not although interestingly the reason i i said oh i i wouldn't show it to him because i did consider watching it with him um because i had to watch it on christmas day um but just this past year has been such a psychologically heavy one, especially for like a little, little kid that, you know, with the quarantine and the, the pandemic and people dying and all this stuff going on. And I know that's affected him in, in certain ways. And I know it's affected adults. I've seen it, you know, and, uh, Oddly enough, for me watching the movie with Stranger, a friend of mine had died just a few days before um, I saw it. Uh, he, and he died of uh, COVID. And so it was, it was just one of those things where I was watching it and thinking like, oh, wow, this is pretty, when you put it in that context, it's pretty intense. Yeah. And then if you put it in the context of like a five-year-old, it's even more intense because the world is so vast anyway. And then you get into like life and death and all this sort of stuff. Um, so it's just an interesting thing. I'd be interested to hear from parents as to whether they watch this with, you know, and stuff and with their kids. And, um, it's an interesting thing. I think for adults, it, it's enough. It, it's not as much as I'd want it to be, but it's enough that you watch it and you're like, okay, th this, you don't feel like you're watching a kid's movie at all. Um, but it's it's it sort of hits a sweet spot with that um for somebody like me who's i prefer you know pretty you know art housey deep existential things um it wasn't enough but i think most people will find it to be just in the in the right sweet spot for them and uh you know when i wrote about it i recommended it uh to people and it's just so weird how people people got so mad at me for what I wrote about it. And I was just like, geez, I'm writing about how this movie is this universal story. And people are like, oh, but you know, it, it, I, I heard stuff about how it's against, it's uh, misogynistic because of the Tina Fey character is sort of unlikable or it's, you know, it doesn't center the black character. So it's racist. And I'm just like, oh, my head is hurting right now. I just, I can't, I can't. 
I don't know what to tell you people. I'm sorry. It's a cartoon. It's pretty good. So just go for it, man. Do whatever you want. I don't really care. I would love a poster <laughs> that I could hang in my room of the Soul movie poster where they put down little like quotes from like New York Times and stuff and be like, it's a pretty good cartoon. <laughs> go watch it. Michael Jackson. <laughs> That right there is like the most, the biggest for a film ever. Pretty good. It's a goddamn cartoon, man. What are we getting worked up about? Let's let's do this thing. Um, but I, I, I do think that that's another good point to point out the fact that yes, when you find the right cutoff for how old you want your kids to be to see it, it is a universal movie that parents can equally enjoy and kids can equally enjoy. And if they watch it, the kid watches it at ten and then watches it when he's thirty probably get different things out of it which is also a great thing in movies is when you can go back and you know have a new perspective on that as you know things in your life change and i love the fact that when you can find movies that not only are universal in terms of you know race gender creed but also age groups uh i think that's a really really hard thing to do and i think for the most part this movie you know as much as much as they can you know they hit a solid triple out of the uh out of this one and i yeah well, it's funny. I just over the Christmas holiday, we um, we watched the original Star Wars yes. with my son, and he had been asking to see it. He'd never seen any of the stuff, and uh, you know, I was like, "Yeah, okay." So we finally we sit down and we watch it, and it's so funny watching it because you know, for for us, like I saw it when I was a kid. It came out when I was a kid. Um, I think I was I was a my son's age as he is now oddly enough a anyway so it comes out and uh it's got all these deep things going on in that movie that's what makes it su successful it, it's cool and sci-fi and all these things but like you know there's the father and the son stuff the dark and the light and all these things and so i watch it with my son and um it's so interesting to see it through his eyes because for him it's basically a movie about chewbacca and r2d2 <laughs> You know, it's like, oh man, look at Chewbacca. It's like, hey, there's R two D two, and then the movie's over, and you're like, all right, cool, all right, and moving on. You know, and then we watch the other two. We watch Empire Strikes Back and uh, Return of the Jedi, and it's like Return of the Jedi is basically the Ewok, Ewok movie. Yeah, it's like Ewoks, yay! And you're like, wow, George Lucas really is an evil genius for putting that stuff in, man, because kids just. They don't care. They just dig it. You know, it's like, hey, look at the fuzzy thing. This is great. Woo! -woo. Um, soul is not like that. It doesn't have that stuff. Um, interestingly, there is a, a cat in the movie, which is sort of an intriguing character and kind of funny. And I think that may work for kids. But for me, I, I, I think like kids maybe, um, I would say like eight to 10 and up would be. This would this would be for them maybe I don't know I don't know older kids so what do I know Yeah I mean I think I you know like I said based on what the child's like I, you know I don't think if you showed a five year old it would scar them uh, it might lead to some questions it might you know if they're prone to anxiety you know I was very 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 scared of death at a young age so this may not have been the best movie to show me but other people <laughs> you know are different but i think by the time you're eight to ten I, I i would assume that most kids would be okay to process most of what's in this movie 
Well, I think every parent of a five-year-old basically is looking at what they're going to watch and thinking, okay, what questions can we avoid? <laughs> you're going to watch this. If this is going to raise questions, you're not going to watch it. So how about we just watch something uh, like, can you watch Thomas the Train again for the 9,000th yeah. time? <laughs> can we do that? Which, we, which he was watching the other day again with uh, the George Carlin ones, which are awesome. Like, I yeah. love those things. They're, they're so good because George Carlin is great. Um, okay, so anything else to talk about with Soul? Or do, do we have anything to share about Soul? Here are a couple things I, I want to share. One thing that, that didn't work was his relationship with his mother. I thought that was an odd, yeah. an odd sort of side journey for me, which uh, his mother's... But I also think that I didn't mind because so much of the movie seemed to, to work and was kind of connected. They found a way to make it like it wasn't neat. Like I, I think had the yeah, yeah. relationship too supportive and whatnot. And, and coming from I, I love and adore my mother, but decades of fighting, wanting to be an artist, and my mom. You know, when are you going to get a real job? What's your backup? Why aren't you going to college? You know, when are you going right. to have a real career? You know, I think that sometimes how the artist perceives that is different than how the parent is letting off. And I thought the resolution to that story worked. And so to me, it was a little clumsy, but I think that worked so that it didn't feel like it was just, oh, everything was neat and tidy and it just all, you know, it wasn't a sit yeah. with uh, Tim Tim Allen, and even though someone gets cancer at the end of it, everything's okay. You know, it, it, there was a certain amount of messiness, but not depressing. Yeah, it's funny. I I found the actual relationship believable and interesting, but I found the resolution to be weak, and that to me, well, I think the reason the resolution was weak is because they they went more into a a sugarized version. Yeah you know, sort of thing. But I do think that a lot of artists, when it comes down to it, like I have a sugar result with my mom and my relationship because a lot of the friction came from different areas, but the end result of what she wanted and what I wanted were more in sync. So it seems yeah. like, oh, well that just worked out. And you're like, well, no, it was really messy for a long time and it gets to that part. So, uh, you know, again, Maybe because it mirrors more my own story, I didn't have as big of a problem with it. Yeah, I mean, I just didn't. I my mother thinks I sell insurance, and uh, <laughs> I, she thinks I've been doing it for thirty years now. So she doesn't know that I'm I'm in this business. So I I couldn't relate. No, I just felt I thought the character was interesting. You know, having this abrasive relationship with the mother, but then yeah, like you say, it was just a sugary yeah. resolution that that felt unearned to me. Um, yeah, which you know is a, again a minor quibble. Um, so you know, I but I don't think they had time to develop it, and I think, I think had it not been as saccharine, it would have felt like, well, why are we bothering to tell this story? It would have just been like a yeah. weird thorn in your shoe that you just wanted to get out. So I think okay. for what the movie was, it led them to the safer choice. But I mean, like I said, it's a triple, not a home run, but. <laughs> who, who right, right. They're making a movie. Right. Um, I wish there were yeah. triples. 
Yes, I do. I, I wouldn't say I'd say it's a double, maybe. Um, I wouldn't give it a triple, but uh, again, right, I like double the and they stole third. Okay, <laughs> they got the third <laughs> on a thing. on a bad throw. They yeah, got the exactly. third. Um, but it, it is an enjoyable movie, and I do recommend people just give it a shot and and watch it. It's it to its credit, it really just goes there, and you have no idea the journey it's going to take you on it's it's pretty pretty crazy all the places that you go and you're just like wow this is some dude just thinking this stuff up this is pete doctor just being like hey geez i wonder what happens when you die huh and then there you go yep and you're off to the races um any closing thoughts on uh on soul barry no i mean i i want people to see it so that they make more movies like this and uh you know just go go watch the movie I agree. Uh, and uh, as a non-Pixar person, I would just say this. If Pixar keeps making movies like this, I will become a Pixar person. Well, um, here's what I'm going to say, is I know we have some Pixar fans that are screaming right now at their uh, device. Do me a favor. Okay. And if you're going to rank them, watch the original Monsters, Inc. and the original Incredibles. Those are the two. That's in the Mount Rushmore of their greatest works. Here's here's my Mount Rushmore of Pixar movies right okay. now. Now this is going to cause a lot of controversy. Yeah, don't don't say Cars two. I have Soul and Cars two, oh, and that's it because those are the only two I've seen. Well, so need, that that's one and two for Pixar. You need, you need to remedy that immediately. <laughs> Although Cars two has death in it too. What's his name? Um, Paul Newman's character oh, is yeah. dead. Yep. <laughs> it's just like lighten up, guys. What are we doing? Um, yeah, so I'll have to check out. I, it's been a badge of courage for me that I've never seen any of the Toy Story movies. Um, well, the, I don't I, know why. The, 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 well, Toy Story, you have to see the first one if you're going to watch them because it sets up everything. I think two is better than one. Three is an abomination, and everybody who was involved in making that should go to a fiery, burning place of artists because um, uh, I just... And the fact that people love that, it's just emotional porn that just is terrible and shouldn't ever be done um up is overrated the first half of wally is one of the best like executed movies especially if your son loves uh buster keaton the physical yeah. non-speaking comedic stuff in the beginning part of wally is to die for they get okay. into some weird stuff at the end that isn't as good but if you just chop the first half of that it's amazing um, but I think I think the original Monsters Inc. and the original Incredibles are those are those are definitely worth watching. So it's it's a snow day here. Um, so I think what we're going to do is I'm going to sit down with my son. We're going to watch Toy Story three, no. and we'll watch Cars two again. Oh God! And I then, mean, if you're going to do that triumphant, then just throw in Up. <laughs> and, then you can, and then you can then you can test my theory because my theory has been since i've seen that movie the first five minutes is maybe the greatest love story ever told and off the strength of that first five minutes everything else people forget exists and the movie is a freaking train wreck of awfulness oh dear and everybody says they love up and i'm like do you love up or did you just like the first five minutes and then everyone's like oh my god that and i'm like yeah and then I ask him a question about something that happens in the middle and all, like nine out of 10 people are like, wait, what? And they've forgotten. I'll, I'll spoil it for you. There's a giant talking peacock that makes an appearance. I mean, it's just like, oh, what no. is happening in this movie? But everybody just 
you know, they, the first five minutes sold everything else. So, um, yeah, so I've never seen the Toy Story movies. You know what else I've never seen? I've never seen any of the Shrek movies. And I don't feel bad about that. Those aren't very, I think I've watched like one or two, and they're not very good. I've also never seen a single second of any of the Fast and the Furious movies. Okay. Which, here, you know. Here, here's the deal. Okay. Fast and the Furious 5. Fast 5 yeah. is really good, and it could be like a standalone movie outside of the franchise. It's just a really good heist movie. Like, it's not like, you know, up there with The Godfather. But like, <laughs> if you watch them, it is so head and shoulders above every other fast movie that you're like, okay, whoever made that, that was at least you did right. a job. But if you're ever going to watch right, well, Fast Five, Fast Five is it. Well, rest, rest assured, I'm not going to watch any I of know these you movies. Won't, but that's okay. <laughs> I just can't do I'm it. Just letting you know. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so I think we're done with Soul. We've talked about Soul. Um, we both liked it. Barry liked it more than I did, but we both liked it. And you know, I can be sort of a harsh critic. So <laughs> what? take that for what it's worth. Yeah. yeah. It's true. It's true. Um, all right. So thank you guys for tuning in to Looking California Film Minnesota, our soul edition. Uh, as year two of, of uh, season two of our wonderful podcast continues. And hopefully we'll we'll talk to you real soon. All right, everybody. Thanks again. See you soon. Bye.